the psalm that we're going to be looking at in the sermon today, Psalm 51. That hymn that we just sang is actually adapted from that psalm. So uh, you have a, they're a good example of what it looks like to sing God's word uh, back to him. Uh, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 51. If you're using the church Bible, you should find it on page 474. As you turn there, just remember that Psalms, uh, that the Psalms uh, is, a, is a book of prayers and songs. Really, it's a book of prayers that have been turned into songs. And as we look at Psalm 51 this morning, we're looking at a prayer of confession. Uh, David is confessing his sin before the Lord. The other word for that is repenting. David is repenting. What does that mean, to repent? The word literally means to turn. And so, in the biblical sense, what David is doing, what we're going to see him do as we read the psalm, is turn from sin and turn to God. And as you listen to David turning this morning, my prayer is that you and I will learn how to turn as well. That we'll take David's model of repentance and make it our own. Uh, Here at Grace Fellowship, we started doing something new that when we listen to God's word read, we stand in honor of God's word. So if you would, please stand with me as I read Psalm 51. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. 
build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls, bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All flesh is like grass, and all our glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Would you join me in praying? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would take the eternal truths of your word and that you would write it on our hearts. Lord, in this case, would you show us what it looks like to repent, to turn back to you, to hear joy and gladness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who here has ever been lost? You can raise your hand. Okay, some of y'all are lying. Um, Who here has ever gotten yourself lost? Hey, more of you raised your hands that time. Um, All right. So you've gotten yourself lost, right? You, You went away that you were sure was right. But the further you went the less you recognize your surroundings. So what, what do you do? Well, of course, you turned around and went back the right way, right? No, right? He said, I'm pretty sure I know the right way. And so you took another turn, and you got lost even further. And depending on how much confusion and pride coalesced together in your heart, you may have taken several more turns before you finally admitted that you... We're lost as a goose. That's what David does here. He's lost. He tells us about uh, the time when he wrote this, and you can actually go back and read that story uh, in Second Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. In fact, I encourage you to do that this week so you have all the background, but I'll give you a summary. Uh, David had stayed home. When his troops went out to war. And one day he sees Bathsheba, the wife of one of his best soldiers, a man named Uriah. And David decides to take Bathsheba and sleep with her. And she becomes pregnant. And rather than come clean about what he has done, David tries to cover his tracks He calls Uriah back from the front, and he tells him to go home and to be with his wife. Not once, not twice, three times David tries to convince Uriah to go home to his wife. And each time Uriah says, I cannot go home. I cannot be at home in comfort while my Lord's troops are out in the field. Uriah refuses David's offer. And so with that plan failed, David sends Uriah back to the front. Uh, But he sends Uriah back with a message, a message that Uriah doesn't know he has, uh, to give to Joab, the commander of the armies. And David's word to Joab is, put Uriah at the front where the fighting is most intent, and then draw back so that Uriah is killed. And that's exactly what Joab does. David has Uriah killed by another, by the hands of his enemies. So, 
let's just run through the commandments that David breaks in this episode. Number 10, he covets. He wants the wife of another man, a woman who does not belong to him, so he covets. And then he breaks commandment number 7, and he takes her. He commits adultery with her. And then in order to cover that up, he breaks commandment number 6. He murders. And in all of this, he's really broken commandment 1. You shall have no other gods before me. David worshipped himself and his desires and his power over against God, and therefore that led him to break all of these other commands. Uh, To amplify all of that, David is God's chosen king. He is the one whom God has chosen to lead his people in holiness and in righteousness, and he does the exact opposite. And it's... After Uriah's death, David does take Bathsheba to be his wife. And then several months later after that, God sends Nathan the prophet to rebuke David. And David is broken and he cries out to God for forgiveness. And this is the prayer uh, that he wrote on that occasion, Psalm 51. And the beautiful thing is David doesn't keep that hidden. But he has it transcribed and put into to words of song so that God's people can worship, so that they too. So, so David leads the people in repentance. David got himself lost, but he didn't stay there. He cried out to God for help, and he turned around and he came home. And in this psalm, what we see is David showing us, too, how to do that. David goes from the lowest low to the highest high. And so this morning... You're feeling lost in the the swamp of your own sin. I want you to listen to David. I want us to follow as David, David leads us out of sin through the mercy of God and into worship. David gives us this path of repentance that leads us all the way home. And he really does it in two big moves. There are several steps, but there are two big moves in the psalm. Uh, the first first part of the psalm, verses 1 through 9 Repentance seeks forgiveness. And then the second part, verses 10 through 19, repentance seeks transformation. So we're going we're gonna to look at those two big moves, but we'll break them down even further. So let's talk about what it looks like for repentance to seek forgiveness. Right off the bat, David shows us where repentance starts. Look at verse 1. He says, have mercy on me, O God. Why? According, because of, according to, your steadfast love. Because of, according to, your abundant mercy, blot out or wipe out my transgressions. Wash them away. God's mercy is the foundation of our repentance. We cannot repent Apart from the steadfast love of God, David, David right off the bat shows us what it has to be grounded on is the mercy of God. And it's interesting, sin, lots of cleaning language comes up in this psalm. Uh, Sin is pictured here as a stubborn stain. We have a, a few of these in our home. Maybe you do as well. You've blotted and washed and blotted and washed, and blotted, and washed, and vacuumed. Maybe you even rented one of those fancy steam cleaners. 
and it just doesn't come up. Maybe it fades, but the sin, excuse me, the stain, maybe it was sin that led there. Uh, the stain remains, right? It persists. And that's what sin is. It is a persistent stain. It is a filth that defiles us, that makes us dirty before God. But David knows where to go. He knows who can help. He cannot help himself, and so he turns to the Lord for deep cleaning and thorough washing. Look down at verse 7. He says, purge me with hyssop. What's, what's that all about? Well, in the Old Testament sacrificial system, the hyssop branch, when you went to the temple and you made your sacrifice, the, the hyssop branch was dipped in the blood of your sacrifice and sprinkled on you. And that was a symbol of cleansing. Not that the blood itself actually cleansed you, but it pointed forward to God's cleansing of you. That's what the, the hyssop branch would do. It symbolizes God's cleansing. That's where David is going. Look at verse 3. David knows his sin. He says, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me, before my face. No excuses here. David doesn't try to wiggle out of this. He doesn't seek to justify himself. So glad that Fred mentioned that during our call to repentance. You and I are so good at that, aren't we, when confronted. Self-defense, blaming others. David doesn't do that. He says something interesting in verse 4. He says, against you, you only have I sinned. And is David saying that God's the only one that he sinned against? I mean, we know that's not true. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the whole nation of Israel. So what does David mean when he says this? When he says, against you, you only have I sinned. What he's emphasizing is that ultimately, every sin we commit... Yes, there are the people that we commit sin against, but ultimately every sin we commit is a sin against God. And what David is saying is that the court, uh, God's court is the one with which he must deal. It is ultimately God's judgment with which David has to deal. So even if others pardon us and forgive us, we must face God's judgment. And that's why David says, that you may be justified, that you may be right in what you're saying. Human opinions waver and change. Human courts can be bought and corrupted. We even fool ourselves, but not God. David owns his son without excuse before a holy God. And then he goes even further. He says, this is not just a one-off. This is not just a, a one big-time whoopsie. No, I've, I've been a sinner since I was a child, even in my mother's womb. David's talking about what theologians call total depravity. That our sin goes all the way back. Uh, that it's not something that we accumulate over time. Rather, it's a part of our nature. As one songwriter said, we are crooked deep down. And it happens the moment we're conceived. We are sinful by nature. And that's really the question. Are, are people basically good? 
or are people basically bad? We, we, we want to believe that people are basically good, but Scripture tells, the op, tells us the opposite, that humans are bad. Now, total depravity doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. Right? We're not all Hitler. Uh, that would be utter depravity. But total depravity, what that means is that there's not one part of us that isn't touched by our sin nature. Not one part of us is clean, to use David's language in this psalm. And we have to own that. That's part of our repentance, acknowledging that we are basically sinful by nature, that the reason we sin is because we are sinners. It's not really a slip-up. It's who we are as sinners. Then he says this, uh, Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David has been convicted by God's word. He's broken. It feels like broken bones. And he wants to hear joy and gladness instead of experiencing that pain and grief. John Calvin says this, It is the word of God alone which can first and effectually cheer the heart of any sinner. Every week we have a call to repentance in our worship service. Why do we do that? Because we're asking God to break our bones, as it were. We're, just like Nathan came to David with God's word of conviction, we need God's word and spirit to open our eyes to our sins. We need to recognize our own sinfulness, right? If, if you hear David's story and you think, well, that could never be me, you're in a dangerous position, friend. We are all capable, because of our sin natures, of doing as bad as David or worse. And it is only by God's restraining grace that any of us doesn't veer off that far off the path. And that's why we have a call to repentance every week. We need to hear God's word convict us and show us where we're in error. We need our eyes to be open. But we also have an assurance of grace. We also hear promises of God's pardon because... That's where the joy and gladness is to be found. The only source of true joy and delight is found in God's promise to forgive those who trust in his son, Jesus. And so David closes this section by saying, hide your face from my sons. Hide your face. Uh, what's he asking God to do? David's sins are before his face, and he knows that they're before God's face. So what he's pleading with God to do is to forgive him, to not look at his sin anymore. Now, obviously, God can still see his sin, but he wants God to forgive it, to not look at it in an accusatory way. And he says again, blot out my transgressions, wash away my rebellion. So let's just summarize this first section so far. What has David taught us? One, sin makes us dirty all the way down, and we cannot clean ourselves. Two, repentance means we have to own our sin. No excuses, 
No shifting the blame. But then three, repentance is rooted in God's mercy. Without mercy, there is no chance for repentance. There is no chance for forgiveness. That's what it looks like for repentance to seek forgiveness. But repentance, we don't stop there. Repentance also seeks transformation. And notice where transformation begins in verse 10. It begins on the inside. David says, create in me a clean heart. You see, what we're looking for is not behavior change. Well, we are. We are looking for behavior change, but we have to ask the question, where does behavior change start? It doesn't start on the outside. It starts on the inside. That my problem and your problem is not out here, but actually in here. And so that's what David asked for. He says, create in me a clean heart. I do not have a clean heart. I need you to create one. That word create, the same one from Genesis. It's a miraculous work of God, making something out of nothing. That's what David is asking God to do. And he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. What's he talking about? Well, David was not the first king of Israel. The first king of Israel was a man named Saul. And God gave his Holy Spirit to Saul for part of his reign. But then when Saul refused to do what God told him to do, God removed his spirit from him. David does not want that to happen to him. Now, again, you can go back and you can read uh, the book of Samuel and you can learn all about Saul. But here's the interesting thing. If you were to compare Saul and David... And their list of sins, Saul would actually look better. Saul would actually appear more righteous than David. Saul didn't commit adultery. He didn't steal another man's wife. He didn't have anybody murdered. Okay? Saul, Saul, if you're just comparing outward behavior, Saul looks better. But the difference between the two, what makes David the better man, better man, is what they do with their son. Saul despised the grace of God. He was proud and did not want anything to do with it. And so God said, okay, I will remove my spirit from you. David, on the other hand, when confronted with his son, is broken. He is more concerned. Saul was more concerned with power and the opinion of others. David was most concerned with God's opinion of him, with God's favor. And so he does not want to be like Saul. That's why David says what he says. And then he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You want to know what the key to repentance is? Joy. The the truth behind why you and I sin in the way that we do is because we're finding our joy in something else. We are seeking a lesser joy. And it will kill us. And so, joy is the answer. David is grieved because he realizes he's been pursuing a lesser joy. He's been looking for happiness and satisfaction in something that cannot provide it. 
And so he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Return joy to my heart. You felt that distance, haven't you? Maybe you said or did something to a friend, a coworker, maybe your spouse, created that gap. There's grief there. There's sadness there. Things were said that shouldn't have been said or unsaid that should have been said. And you, you want that gap to close. You want reconciliation. You want there to be joy. That's what David is asking for. He's asking for God to restore that relationship. That's the heart of transformation. Transformation begins on the inside, but it doesn't stay there. Get it? It moves outward, right? Transformation doesn't stay on the inside. It moves outward. Look at uh, verse 13. Actually, looking at verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation, uphold me with a willing spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. What's David's response? When joy has been restored to him, he can't help but tell others. So now we're talking about not just the heart of repentance, but also the heart of evangelism. What is it that motivates David to tell others about mercy. It's the joy that he's found in his Savior. He cannot help but tell others. He says, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. He tells sinners about God's mercy, and he sings aloud about God's mercy in worship. So that transformation goes from inside to outside. I will teach transgressors your ways. We talk the most about what we enjoy the most because we want others to experience it. David can't help but sing about the God who has saved him. And then in the closing verses, he talks about sacrifices. And all those verses, what they're saying is this. Outward religious performance is not what we're after. David says... I can offer all the sacrifices in the world, but if I don't have a broken and contrite spirit before you, you're not interested. Right. We can come in here and we can worship. We can come to the table and we can do all of these things in an outward religious sort of way. But David said, really, the heart of worship is a humble heart, a contrite heart, a broken heart that realizes how sinful we are. But even more than that, that God's mercy is more. So David got himself lost. And then he turned around. But this sermon would not be complete unless we ask one more question. What is it that turns David around? How does David know to stop running from God and start running to God? And here's the truth. David would not go after God if God had not first pursued David. It's God who sends his prophet to David. It's God who is not content to let David fall. We sing in another hymn, O love that will not let me go. That's what we have in God's mercy. David, God does not leave David in his sin, but he comes to get him. 
And he has done that for you. And he has done that for me in his son, Jesus. He's come after us. Like the, like the shepherd that goes after the one lost sheep. He has pursued us even though we were not pursuing him. And so I want you to hear God's invitation to you this morning. Are you lost? Are you in the dark? Turn around and trust in Jesus. Are you stuck? Turn to him. Ask him to restore to you the joy of his salvation. Are you apathetic? Ask God to revive your heart. To show you how deeply you need him. And how Jesus meets that very need. You see, when David talks about cleansing and about sacrifices and all of that, he's pointing forward to Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we can be cleansed. Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Here in a minute, we're going to come to the table. And when you see the body and the the blood, when you see the bread and the cup, I want you to think about that hyssop branch and those Old Testament sacrifices and the cleansing rituals. But here's how I want you to think about it. Those are all done because Jesus fulfilled them. He is the lamb who put his body on the altar. His is the blood that was spilled. And if you trust in him, that blood is sprinkled on you so that you can be clean. Yet one more hymn. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. And, best of all, he's willing. Doubt no more. Let's pray. Our good and gracious king, thank you for David's example And showing us what it looks like to repent. But even more than that, we thank you for David's greater son, Jesus.